0: You know, think about the Olympics. I mean, it's the common example. Uh, there are both judges and coaches. Judges hold up numbers at the end. People cry. People uh, are elated. Uh, coaches are consistent. And I think that's what we find about I- integrity uh, a- and authenticity as well that over time, leaders of integrity are happy people. And we know that correlates into. Uh, People enjoy working for happier leaders. And I I don't mean the kind of happiness that comes with the marriage or the birth of a child, but I mean a sustained, optimistic outlook on life, despite how difficult it might be.
1: This is the Rebel HR Podcast. If you're a professional looking for innovative, thought-provoking information in the world of human resources, this is the right podcast for you. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Rebel HR listeners, I'm extremely excited about our guest today. We're going to be talking with Mike Horn. Mike is a people and culture change maker. He helps smart people to develop and sustain authentic and rewarding relationships with colleagues and customers. He has a long and successful career in HR uh, with a love-hate relationship uh, to the profession, guiding businesses and teams at Gilead Sciences, Brocade Communications, Uh, Nortel Networks, Marriott International, and Willis Towers Watson. Welcome to the podcast.
0: I'm delighted to be here, Kyle. Uh, Thank you. A lovely introduction, and uh, I look forward to engaging with you, not so much on the topic of the love-hate relationship with human resources, (laughs) but around the topics of uh, authenticity and integrity uh, and any way that we can take this conversation and discussion to help your listeners on the topics which I think are most important in terms of building prosperous organizations, and that all starts with relationships, and HR people are key to so much of that. Absolutely. I'm I'm really looking forward to the
1: conversation today, and uh, the other thing I didn't mention in the intro is is Mike also uh, has a book coming out called Integrity by Design, Working and Living Authentically. So, uh, i think a a ton of good questions and discussion that we can have on that topic especially being authentic within the role of hr so true all right so let's let's get right into it so um you've you've had a, a, a wonderful career in human resources and some really uh impressive companies so uh why don't you just kind of uh walk us through your hr origin story how did you get into the the role of hr
0: Human resources careers can go on forever. So I'm really thinking about the next 15 years. But it's so interesting to explore your question, Kyle, on the origin story. And for me, it was as a teenager in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where somehow I was involved in the lettuce boycotts led by Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers Union. I don't know how that happened. But for me, what it set up was an interest in labor relations and in how people resolve conflict. So ultimately, it led to an undergraduate degree in labor relations. My first uh, job out of undergraduate school was as a labor relations manager in what was then one of the few unionized large commercial banks in the United States. Uh, It was owned by the United Mine Workers Union. Uh, but manages a commercial enterprise. And there was a union that represented employees there. But after a few years in labor relations, grievance handling, contract negotiations, I realized there had to be a better way. (laughs) And that better way, uh, because I was interested. So going back to the origin story, thinking about uh, La Welga, the movement of uh, farm workers that Chavez created. Um, I've always been interested in the intersection of how we use our creative energies to come up with new and different approaches to working. So, you know, given that I was uh, early on in my career finding these employee relations and labor relations rituals just to be some form of acting out roles that each of us had in representing employees and representing employers uh, and almost scripted to an extent in terms of outcome and result, I went into the learning and uh, development Mm -hmm. world really in the organization development space. And uh, uh, today I'm on the board of directors for the organization development review and uh, I've had a long-term association with the organization development network. I um, might be a reluctant uh, human resources uh, colleague. I mean, having spent so much of my career fighting uh, human resources. But today, in my role leading human resources at Gilead Sciences uh, for the research division, I couldn't imagine any better place for people interested in leading and changing and helping Uh, people to grow and develop organizations than to be in human resources and that's why it's so such a delight for me to think about um you know our conversation today
1: absolutely um and and wow what a fascinating trajectory of the career to go from the the nlrb NLRB, right uh, to hr i mean it's it's uh Yeah, it's kind of like uh, playing both sides of the fence, but uh, Uh did you find the common ground in the middle?
0: (laughs) Well, I I think yes, of course. And if I've learned anything, uh, some of what I did at different points in my career was uh, consulting to large corporations, HP, ExxonMobil, Darden restaurants. And in all of those experiences, I think you know, training managers and leaders and interacting and engaging with them as a coach, what I've learned is that it's essential to look for common ground. And even when people don't think they can find it, often in an organizational context, what you can do is just keep looking up to the customer, right? And, you know, where's the connection to uh, what engages every employee of an organization? So there's always a way to find common value, but usually it's by lifting up rather than focusing down on tasks. I don't know what's your experience in that regard as well, right? Absolutely, missions and values lift people. Yeah, absolutely. What, one of my
1: one of my favorite roles in in HR was being an HR generalist at a at a manufacturing facility, um, and you know we didn't call it labor relations, we called it employee relations, but it it was the same, it was the same job. It was just trying to find ways to help individuals connect themselves to, you know, connect their personal mission to the company's mission and try to find that common ground and that connection, uh, to, to how they, um, could be set up for success in their mind and and how, and how they could help the company. And, you don't always find common ground, but but at, at at some point you do find some sort of a resolution, and hopefully it's 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 good for both parties. But well, there's um, so much
0: everyone can learn from a manufacturing uh, environment. Oh, yeah. I supported the uh, executive vice president of global technical operations, essentially manufacturing for Roche Pharmaceuticals, about a thirteen thousand person organization inside the much larger Roche organization of a hundred thousand plus people. But 23 sites at that time, uh, just uh, a manufacturing, a global manufacturing network. And as a change agent in that organization, I loved working in manufacturing environments because there's always some sense of hair on fire in manufacturing. There's a crisis that (laughs) needs to be attended to. And uh, it's uh, what I have found about manufacturing leaders is their uh, focus, their disciplined approach uh, to quality and to improvement, uh, to agile, uh, you know, as early adopters. It's just great to work in those kinds of environments. They do differ from other environments, you know, if you've ever had a, you know, time supporting the CFO organization or something else. It's just different qualities. <laughs> I learned as much from the CFO yeah, of Marriott. Yep. When I supported the CFO of Marriott, what I learned from him, I was facilitating at that time. At that time when I was developing a career to eventually support the chief operating officer of Marriott International, um, what I was facilitating a lot of meetings. Marriott was doubling in size at the time, going from a 1,000 to 2,000 units. I was facilitating a lot of executive uh, meetings, given that I had you know, a background now in organizational consulting and some global experience that I gained at uh, Willis Towers Watson as a consultant. And what I learned uh, from the CFO was, I think, one of my most valuable business lessons. I was facilitating away, and they were talking about uh, uh, this number and that number and the financial reporting and analysis that they were doing, and I was somewhere distant, you know, not paying attention. And he said to me at that time, he said, you know, aren't Mm -hmm. you interested in our business? And it was a good wake-up call for me, and it made me a better HR person in the long run, right? Hmm. Uh, because what I was doing was sort of valuing um, uh, the process, the how, the relationship, maybe at the expense of really looking at the goal-directed behavior that you know the team and others were engaged in for the enterprise.
1: Yeah, what a what a what a wonderful uh, wonderful lesson and a and a, a powerful lesson. I I think my opinion is any any good HR person understands or has learned at one point throughout their career that they have to also understand the business. (laughs) How did that
0: happen for you or how is that happening for you?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it continues to happen for me and I'm, uh, I'm certainly, I think I'm wired similar to you where I I like to focus on relationships and, and attitudes. And, you know, I, I tend to focus, you know, on, on culture, uh, versus details. (laughs) And, um, yeah, there's there's been a number of times. I mean, it's like hard to pick one, but you know, a number of times where you know I've been more focused on the on the interactions as opposed to the the tasks at hand. Probably the more the more recent one uh, that comes to mind. I'll go back to the time of manufacturing. Just I, I I'm with you. I love manufacturing. Um, it was the the interaction with the woodworker. Who was uh, was hand sanding uh, the face of a cabinet at this factory that I was I yeah. was running and I'm trying to work through a problem with him and you know and and try to understand the the concern and I was just kind of like uh huh uh huh and and I could you know in my head I was thinking he's really mad <laughs> how do I get him less mad and he kind of looks looks me in the eye and he's like you don't even know what I'm talking about you don't know what my job is you don't care you know and it and then he got mad at me and then I was like oh. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention. He didn't, uh, and he called me on it. And um, and no, he's right. I really don't know what his what his true pain point is because I don't understand where he's coming from. And so you know, and I I think those interactions are real and they happen all the time. And if you're if you're a good HR professional, you listen to
0: them. Well, and isn't that one of the key aspects of integrity and authenticity that? I mean, what you relate to me in your story is part of what I relate that if you want to be a source of inspiration for people, I mean, what you say and think matters, you know, and in that case, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's pretty obvious you weren't, you know, <laughs> you, you know, we get so distracted, right? I mean, I, sometimes we yeah. um, so anxious to make the next point that, you know, we forget the moment. Yeah, I'm bad at that. I'll be honest. Um, I'll be authentic with that.
1: Uh (laughs) It's the, uh, I love that line in, uh, in Pulp Fiction where they ask, uh, I can't remember, I think it was John Travolta maybe Uh was getting asked the question, do you, do you, uh, do you listen or do you wait to speak? (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And I tend, I, I, uh, I I tend to wait to speak more often than I'd like to admit sometimes. And my wife reminds me of that all the time too.
0: Yeah. You know, that's not a bad thing. Um, Everybody can fashion participation in a way that expresses their uh, intent. I believe the challenge is is that when we don't hear you until the end of the meeting, we often don't, you know, we, we miss, uh, we, we miss you. And that's the job. I think in part of an authentic manager, right? You're trying to build relationships regardless of whether you're a human resources manager or manager of uh, some engineering group, it is about building relationships. And I think the way that we do that is by being truthful and honest. And that all relates to integrity, right? Having a sense of wholeness, a sense of completeness, a sense of identity, acting from some sort of ethical and moral uh, compass. And people in HR have such a great uh, opportunity to shape that. We do, um,
1: but I, you know, I'm curious on on your perspective here. I, I think sometimes being authentic in HR is is hard um, because sometimes the truth is painful for people or or challenging to share. So you know, and, and I'm thinking specifically if you know if you're you're dealing with a problem performer or you're dealing with a conflict between two individuals and, you know, trying to de-escalate the situation. So, so as as
0: we have to make sure it's not a systems issue first, right? Because if the company has a performance management system in place that, you know, where employees are doing a self-evaluation, they're saying, I'm average or I'm excellent or I'm superior. And we have a manager on the other end doing the same thing. There can't be any room for you know, conversations that matter or that advance things. And then we end up in these HR environments where uh, because some fear of risk uh, of, uh, you know, engages us in these protracted protracted processes with people. But it's usually not the people. It's about a bad system that doesn't allow for us to uh, work with each other as adults. And we say sort of stay, you know, confounded in a parent-child approach to confronting issues at work. Yeah. I mean, having worked in organizations without performance appraisal systems and those with them.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I want to dig into that a little bit more. You, you're, you're talking about systems and performance evaluation. So are you in the camp of get rid of performance evals? Sure. Yesterday. Really? Okay. Help me understand that. What's your perspective on performance evaluations?
0: We'll be back after a quick break so used to having everything in front of them right away that we forget that innovation just takes time. I I myself, I get frustrated too. Why? And you know, this is being one of my best friends is, Hey, I talk to you all the time. Hey man, I'm frustrated in the fact that I can't seem to just get there in mm-hmm. the next day, but that's just not how these things work. right? Innovation needs to be planned out It needs to be very methodical. And then when it finally hits, that's when it seems like to everyone else that it it sort of just came out of nowhere. But to you, you know the amount of dedication that it took over that time. They are for organizations where judgment is required uh, or where judgment is seen as the objective of management. And it's difficult to create an environment for coaching behaviors, even though I don't think managers are always in the role of coach, but it's difficult to make them, to help them grow into being more coaches with a judging system in place. You know, think about the Olympics. I mean, it's the common example. Uh, there are both judges and coaches. Judges hold up numbers at the end. People cry. People uh, are elated. Uh, coaches are consistent. And I think that's what we find about integrity uh, and authenticity as well, that over time, leaders of integrity are happy people. And we know that correlates into uh, people enjoy working for happier leaders. And I, I don't mean the kind of happiness that comes with the marriage or the birth of a child, but I mean a sustained optimistic outlook on life. Despite how difficult it might be interesting. So I'm just
1: curious on on the judging comment because I feel like it's It's really easy to um, Fall into that mode as HR of judging something as good or bad or somebody as a problem performer or mm. high potential so so how do you how do you work through that paradigm of? Assigning judgment um, and and make sure that you are you know being authentic and objective in in an
0: HR role. Right, I think it's done through compensation. I think it's done through the reward systems. Uh, so you need better you need managers who are better skilled at uh, offering intrinsic motivation, who understand the motivation uh, devices and tools that are available to them, and to focus differentiation in compensation and rewards. What about the managers that? Uh don't want to make anybody mad <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> or, or, uh, or want to, you know, quote, treat everybody the same. How, how, do, you, uh, you know, how, how do you work through those types of situations or, or, or coach a, a manager who might be struggling with that, that process or that thought process?
0: I recently had that experience uh, in reviewing salary increases, and one manager I'm familiar with gave everybody the same salary increase. My response back to the manager is, what do you think, we're running McDonald's here? I mean, if you don't want to differentiate talent, I mean, my goodness. Uh, I mean, then what's the culture that you're building for innovation? And, you know, I'm a believer. Yeah, so everybody's the same. Yeah. What's common about, you know, organizations? uh, Let me, you know, one question that I've often asked my students is, what do organizations have in common, regardless of whether they're in the for-profit sector, the not-for-profit sector, whatever? You know, uh, sector of the economy that you might be working in. But, you know what's what's common to or to organizations? And really, the only thing that's common to most organizations is that they all expire. I mean all organizations end, and it's really the ability mm-hmm. of uh, leaders with vision and with integrity to that that create and sustain organizations. Some of the research that I report in my uh, book, Integrity by Design, working and living authentically um, available in April is that um, companies that bear the name of their founders like Marriott, uh, like Roche, uh, like Dell with, you know, multiple exceptions, like the Mars uh, company, like the Walmart, uh, like the Waltons. uh, You look at the returns of these companies generally that are attached to family names and some sort of values. And over time, uh, their results are superior to other uh, Fortune uh, companies. It has a lot to do with values. Values shape integrity. Now, it doesn't mean that all of so, those so you know families you, haven't been tested. Their integrity hasn't been tested. Michael <laughs> Dell, you know, that's a good example of one. I mean, I don't know how you feel about you know Walmart, I, you know, but I mean, the the results show that uh, these um, companies. Uh, have sustained value over time and i think it has a lot to do with values tell me about
1: um a way that we can impact maybe a value that is unintentional or you know i'm just thinking about those companies that aren't you know don't have the name of the founder on the on the front of the billboard and maybe um maybe have some some cultural challenges is there is there a way to fix it um do we just assume that the expiration date's coming and and just you know move on with our lives? How how do we approach that?
0: Oh, for leaders to never stop working on their happiness, and I you know I think that's so, around the push for authenticity. I think sure. that's about the push for yeah uh, 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 an effective blend. Uh, I think it's about um, you know the things that we all have to remain. Curious about around people and teams and organizations, uh, because so many of the challenges that leaders face uh, are enduring challenges, and those are the things to work on. And a foundation of values helps most people work on the enduring organizational challenges, and particularly the, the greatest challenge that all of us have, which is how do we create places where people can do their best work. So you're
1: telling me that the guy that hates his job, isn't going to be <laughs> authentic and culture building and instill uh, trust in an organization?
0: <laughs> oh, I think there are always, you know, there. there is lots of ways that you can slice this, uh, uh, in organizations, but we have to make progress where we can. And do I think that, uh, authentic leadership is, uh, uh, for everyone? Clearly not. Right. I mean, we have, uh, a long uh, history, despite what we know from the social sciences, where managers are, where people are promoted based on their technical skills. Uh, the literature has been clear for 40 years that uh, technical skills are not an indicator of managerial or leadership success, yet we persist. So, Kyle, I'm grateful for any small progress, right? I'm grateful for that manager of uh, two <laughs> yeah. or three or four people uh, who's making a difference and in, in making a difference helps those people, uh, in turn, you know, feel the value of their contribution. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I love that. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of rampant incrementalism. Just, a, you know, just yeah, a little bit of progress every day. Right. Right. 100%.
0: Right. I, I think that's what creates engagement. Absolutely. It's, it's the sense of progress, sense of, uh, moving forward with a mission. Right. Winning. Winning. Even if it's a little win. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so one thing I want to explore a little bit about authenticity is, is, um, it's one of those things that I, 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 I preach to people. I'm with you. And especially in the context of, you know, talent acquisition and interviewing and, and, you know, and career building, it's, it's all about, you know you really do need to be yourself in those types of scenarios so that you don't get into the wrong position mm-hmm. uh, for yourself or get into the wrong company for for you and your personal goals uh and one of the things I I don't know about you but I struggled especially early in my career in HR was that I I almost had to compartmentalize the 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 negative parts of HR, you know, the the mm-hmm. you know terminations and mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: performance management, corrective mm-hmm. action, you know, mm-hmm. all the stuff that
0: mass layoffs, I mean, laying off thousands of people. Yeah, yeah I've been there. Uh-huh. Oh,
1: yeah. So you know, it's it's almost like, and my coping mechanism was I I had to I I almost had to flip a switch and become a different person to make it through that emotionally because it it's 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 not something I wanted to do. So, and since that I've kind of, I don't do that anymore. Um, but, but what advice would you give to an HR professional? that's maybe struggling with that. And, you know, I think 2020 is one of those years that, um, also stretched a number of, a number of us to, uh, to, to try to, you know, stay calm, cool and collected and, Maybe we're absolutely freaking out on the inside. So so as you're dealing through those kinds of challenging situations, what advice would you give us to, to continue to work, live, think, and present ourselves authentically and continue to, to, to have that integrity?
0: I'm reminded of the first line in Scott Peck's uh, book, uh, The Road Less Traveled. And the first line is, life is difficult. <laughs> So, you know, next, what I'd say is that um, it takes uh, both courage and resilience. And I believe those are renewable resources. People can renew those resources. HR leaders can renew those resources. Um, The approaches will differ from uh, one HR leader to another HR leader. But if if a, goal, if a goal of authenticity is to have our words and actions match, then it, I think it often requires a lot of courage. Uh, it, it's the courage, just as you referred to earlier, Kyle, around the courage to address performance with an individual, uh, the courage to work with, uh, present an opposing point of view. Uh, and in one other example, you had the courage to listen, right, uh, to that uh, finisher to that finisher. So all of that takes courage. And and then beyond that, I think there are some, you know, other advice that, you know, maybe HR professionals could follow. And that would be, you know, don't cheat, don't skimp, you know, and strive to bring more of who you are to every situation. And part of that, you know, that is not skimping or cheating on yourself. Um, When those are out of balance, uh, you need to find other, Solutions. If those are seriously out of balance, you need to find other organizations, and mm. that is much mm. easier said Great than done. Advice. Or, or change the organization. You know, the best way, as uh, uh, as uh, Kurt Lewin, uh, the sort of the founder of organization development, described, is the best way to understand a system is to change it. So that, for me, going back to the origin stories that you asked earlier, so certainly. Benefited my human resources career is to think that if I really want to gain some understanding, let me see what happens when we try to change. What was
1: interesting is, and I learned this the hard way uh, through some very, uh, uh, very pointed feedback that, you know, when I wasn't being authentic, when I was flipping that switch, I turned into a jerk.
0: <laughs> mm, right? Yeah, right. You know, I, yeah.
1: I, I wasn't being myself. I wasn't being a good manager at that point. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would agree it took, it took experience and it took confidence in what I was doing and confidence that I was treating people with as much respect as I possibly could through a tough situation in order to be authentic to those types of situations. But it was really hard. So right on, I
0: think, Kyle, I mean, because, you know, given the opportunity most people, and I think most people in human resources, people like you—I mean, everybody wants to progress through meaningful work because, mm-hmm. you know, adherence to integrity means doing the difficult work that often requires some decisiveness, uh, some deliberate action. And integrity increases when we act, when we act authentically, right? Your integrity just increases. Uh, because you commit to the goodness of the character that you displayed. I mean, I love what you said about being able to take a break, uh, you know, from it, because that that does go to uh, character. It goes to our noble intentions. And, you know, when we're challenged, I mean, we ought to be able to uh, deliver on integrity through the kinds of discussions and dialogues that we have with people, um, because, you know, we're working on relationships and authentic leadership, and we build goodwill and loyalty uh, as integrity because integrity increases intimacy and it decreases achievement as well. Right. 100%. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, uh, not to yeah. get too happy, I mean, I'm know, right there of with the you. That's the stuff I've, I'm thinking about. Right. Yeah.
1: That's good. That's good. Yeah. It's, it's good. You know, I think that, you know, it's, it's just really, it's easy to forget that the first word in, in HR is human. <laughs> right. Yeah. There you go you yeah. know I,
0: and yeah it, but but i or even think... in the newer you know expression around people and culture people right. the first thing right yeah right right absolutely
1: yeah so so i want to i want to talk a little bit about uh um about culture and i think it's it's one of those terms that it it it's so thrown around. Um, it's, it's a kind of a buzzword, you know, culture change and driving culture. And, um, so, but, but I think it's one of those areas that it, it can have a huge impact. So as you, as you define culture and as you define an authentic culture, uh, what, what kind of things do you see in a successful and authentic culture, uh, that that's, that's running on all cylinders?
0: Yes. Wonderful question. So let's get to a couple of those points. So by culture, uh, culture is described as uh, how things get done in organizations. It's as simple as that. It's often very difficult, despite the simplicity of that statement. I mean, culture is how things get done in an organization. A lot of the times when we're inside an organization, it's difficult to describe it. It would be sort of like asking me, for you to describe what it's like to be an American. You'll have your perspective, but that's a perspective among many uh, in a country like the United States. So it's often helpful to be guided by some external framework or some external agent to describe culture. So cultures, but that's it. You know, culture is simply the way. and, And you might refine that in terms of how decisions get made in the organization Um, that's often a good way to get some insight into culture. You could do it through from two exercises, lots of ways to do that. Okay. Let's talk about what an authentic culture. So we've got culture and way we get things done. Authentic, um, it is about building connectedness between people about openness, honesty, transparency, uh, communication, stewarding, uh, organizational resources and about having some fun. I think that's driven out of humanistic values about a belief that um, you're not, Kyle, you're not an element of my production, but rather you're a unique human being with your own wants and needs, and my role as a manager is to connect with you, uh, to be uh, um, honest to myself and transparent with you so that I can encourage teamwork, and within that team, we can uh, do great things. And the literature will bear that out that in these authentic teams, uh, pro- it produces uh, a superior performance. You might say the same for engagement. However, you want to slice that up, uh, that, that uh, pie, which I think gets to your, you know, third point and think about culture. Here's what it is. Here's what an authentic culture is. And then what are the measures for that? Um, I think the most important measures are how leaders, uh, what leaders and employees express in their reports. You can do all kinds of quantification. Um, I'm, not a strain, I'm not a stranger to quantification. I led the first uh, people analytics practice in uh, one of the biggest uh, pharmaceutical companies in the US at Genentech. Um, so there are lots of measures and methods, but I think the most important measure. Is in listening carefully to what others say about the organization. Certainly, you could look at it in terms of um, its accomplishment to goals. It's a combination of both task and process.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I just think that um, you know, it's it's interesting to it's interesting to try to answer that question. Um, I know I get that question all the time. How, how would you describe your company culture? You know, and it's it's. Um, it's it's just uh, it's not necessarily always easy to answer and it's so it's it's so dependent upon you know well which which department are you talking about or you know which location I mean there's you know there's 26 distinct different cultures I, I almost view it it's different it's 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 individual almost like all of
0: us right I mean the a, a team's culture might be different than a company culture right and maybe the superior way to think about it now is in terms of communities, right? And the communities that we form at work. I mean, you can be a member of multiple communities, uh, but it is the small groups. It's, you know, groups of three and four people who make a difference and they form communities uh, in organizations. Most uh, organizations are beyond uh, uh, superheroism. It takes, you know, most most. Change efforts happen because of the interaction of at least two people. The pair is a powerful, uh, uh, agent in an organization. You know, I never liked that term really, HR business partner. And I think it's just so loaded with so many things. But I, th- and I think when you have an effective partnership, you get a lot of praise from your client. Yeah. And i I, I don't know about
1: you, but I've had the experience of being the, Being viewed as the adversary (laughs) and being viewed as the partner, and and uh, yeah, adversarial is not an approach I recommend.
0: Uh, Some uh, you know HR business partners uh, like that. In in some (laughs) European HR communities, it's often defined as being a sparring partner for your client. Uh, That's often a descriptor. Uh, that you might see in in some HR jobs, particularly in Europe, around the sparring quality part. Uh, I don't really understand that. Uh, you know, to the extent that it represents, you know, be candid, know how to speak truth to power, uh, of course. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think yeah, there's a there's a difference between being uh, being everybody's friend and being complacent, um, and, and versus being the you know an adversary. Um you know it's it's you've gotta you've gotta be authentic and and hold integrity when people aren't doing the right thing and speak truth to power when it needs to be spoken i think that's yeah it's it's an interesting uh balance, but that's kind of what I like about it it's it's uh it's it's not black and white I'm not a black and white guy I don't know about you but you know the the CFO talking about numbers to you. My you know my eyes would probably be crossed. <laughs> yeah, digging through uh you know all that stuff. I like I like the gray.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of the truth to that. And when we think about integrity, some things are very dichotomous. They are very black and white, right? You want financial mm-hmm. integrity in your business, uh, and I write mm-hmm. about that, and I talk about that, and I talk about you know, how integrity gets tested differently in people relationships and people and culture experiences. Uh, But we have to see integrity, you know, as that, um, that that there are litmus tests in some cases. Yeah. And it's, and it's never when you expect it. Right, right, (laughs) right. That could be, I think you're right. There's some truth to that. Well, that, that's changed, right? Because changes from an external force you know, again, thinking about Bill Bridges and other people who have been influential, at least to me in human resources. It's, um, you know, what do we do with the transition? That's what's internal. That's what we have the capacity uh, to grow and to change and develop is how we handle transitions. Absolutely.
1: Well, we are we are uh, rounding mm-hmm. out our uh, our time together here. So I want to make sure we get into the uh, Rebel HR flash round. Okay. All right. right so brace yourself. Here we go. <laughs>
0: I'm braced. Okay.
1: All right, hard-hitting
0: questions. Question number one, what are you reading right now? Okay, I do all of my reading in chunks. So I, because I'm a writer and I'm a blogger, I hope people follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I tend to do my uh, reading in big chunks of time. So in the last big chunk of time, um, I took like about a month uh, to read. Here's what I read. I read Bob Iger's The Ride of a Lifetime. It's a great story about him at Disney. I read Educated, Tara Westover. I read the Tahinisi Coates uh, book Between the World and Me. I love The Dutch House by Ann Patchett. Hillbilly Elegy I thought was okay. Woody Allen's uh, book, if you're a fan of uh, his autobiography, Apropos of Nothing. Uh, Woody Allen's had a complex life. The Glass Hotel. The book that took the longest I th- was Grant, but it's a great book. It's a story of uh, President uh, Ulysses Grant. Uh, the Association of Small Bombs. I reread Nora Ephron's Heartburn, Where the Crawdads stand, uh, Sing, The Collected Stories of Catherine Ann Porter, The Lost Man, My Vanishing Country by Bakari Sellers, and my favorite, The Friend. Uh, it was a novel by uh, Sigrid Nunez, and uh, it's about... In part, her experiences living with a Great Dane in a tiny Manhattan apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my reading. I do. A, oh wow! I Can do you it in that? Big blocks.
1: Clearly, yeah. Uh, you congratulations. You just won the award for most <laughs> books read <laughs> in the shortest period of time on uh, this podcast. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I I I um I rediscovered my love for reading during. Uh-huh covid 19 yeah. pandemic um i used to love reading and then i i didn't read for like 10 years yeah. unless it was on a website or a cell phone um and then i yeah and then i started you know grabbing a book and reading again and now i'm yeah i'm starting to check some things off my list so yeah i'm gonna have to play this back and write down the things that okay. you just said because i couldn't oh, get them all down yeah but.
0: yeah all, all good stuff i tell you, yeah
1: and uh um I did read. I did not read Grant, but I did read the um, Hamilton
0: oh, right. uh, biography. Yeah, 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 yeah. You
1: know, obligatory yeah. reading after watching right, the, right. Yeah. the Disney Plus of course, uh, of course show. And yeah. I finished it, but it was
0: hard. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, look, Grant's about three times longer.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't know. I I might not pick that one up. I'm yeah. sorry, Mike. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah.
0: That. Read it in chunks. <laughs> Maybe you can read it over a couple yeah. of years. You know why not? Okay,
1: sure. Uh, I'm with you. All right. Next question. Who should we be
0: listening to? Okay. Easy for me. I I think Amanda Goring, the uh, uh, Youth Nobel Poet Laureate. uh, I think we should. She's amazing. Um, I think that. I think you should also be listening to music that you love. That's not very specific. Um, You should listen to my podcast, Authentic Change Podcast, when you get a chance. And uh, yeah, those are the three things I think about. All right. All right.
1: Last question, the most hard-hitting of them all, how can our listeners connect with you?
0: Oh, the easiest way to connect with me is uh, through LinkedIn. And my public profile on LinkedIn is Mike Horn, the number one. So Mike Horn one. Uh, People can also reach me through my uh, website, which is mike-horn.com. And uh, those are the two ways that are the easiest uh, to find me. But LinkedIn is a uh, preferred way I'm there every day. I love people to follow me on my uh, LinkedIn as well. Be great.
1: All right. Sounds good. And we'll have all that information in the show notes uh, as well. See so that, that you can get connected uh, with Mike and continue to learn more. Looking forward to the, uh, the book coming out here. Sounds like coming out in April. That's it. Integrity by Design, Living and Working Authentically. Mike Horn, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much, Kyle. Have a great day.
1: You as well.
0: All right, that does it for
1: the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at RebelHumanResources.com. com. views and opinions expressed by the Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.